You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Ready? And this is the Holy Cannoli Podcast. Hey, 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 quarantine friends, family, and uh, people who just listen because you want to. This is the Holy Cannoli Podcast, episode 60. My wife and I are on. It's been some time since we released an episode, but our good friend and guest today, Kathy Quillett, has gotten us out onto Zoom to record this interview for you. So let's dig in. Let's talk to our friend Kathy. First of all, Kathy, you're dialing in via zoom from nice. tennessee nashville area nashville tennessee but we got before we get there let's just rewind to the story i first met kathy i could be wrong but this is how i remember it at a tabling event in azusa california i was doing one of those like weekends where you recruit interns college students who want to come to the bay area and do ministry and i met kathy and the rest is history kathy came to northern california from southern california she interned with the church i was a part of her and my wife became good friends they lived together kathy was in our wedding she wore she wore i'm thinking that black and white dress that we promised you you would wear more than once which probably didn't happen could happen. I, you know, I'm wearing it right now. <laughs> it <laughs> looks can't. so good on you, Kathy. Wow. <laughs> I know it still fits. <laughs> but Wendy was in mine too. That's right. In Coronado, right? Because I went to it. Yes. So yes. beautiful. So beautiful. She, she met her beau, Tyler. They romanced the stone and then moved Midwest and keep going south, it seems like. Uh, they have two sons that they adopted from Ethiopia. She now has an empire that she has created to help other people uh, in her counseling practice. And now she's got a book and all these other crazy things. So let's talk, Kathy. What did I miss? Give us fill in the blanks. What did I miss? <laughs> While I drink my Costco oh, okay. margarita. Yeah. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Let's just get one thing straight. You table people on Cougar Walk never stopped at. Say that Cougar again. Cougar Walk. Pacific. The people at the tables at the, at the walk... You were right. Something about you, Tony, like I, I normally didn't make eye contact with them. I just kept walking wherever I was going. These people certainly have better things to do than try and flag us down. But you, I like about face turned towards you. And like that, from that, I didn't just meet Wendy and you and whatever. I met my best friend who introduced me to my husband who like changed the trajectory of my life at that table. So cool. Wow. I think yeah. it's because I never know those moments. You never I know. I can trace everything back to that table. I think I was giving away free candy. Was that part of it? Did I have maybe a free coffee cart going on? <laughs> Starving college student. At that time, I was eating with my dad's gas cart at Mobile. I love it. <laughs> the true power of the Holy Spirit drawing you at Azusa Pacific University and changed your life. Changed it all right there. Wow. So it's so fun to see your face and connect over Zoom. And I think um, a lot of your story really starts at you and Tyler get married and you're in Ohio because that's where he's from. Yeah, and he was a pastor at the time. You're right. Okay. 
and you're looking at starting a family. So start us there with starting a family together. So I think it started a little bit before we got married with the expectation of what it was going to be like. See, backing up even further, Tyler and I got engaged in three months. And then six months later, we were married. And it just kind of was one of those, it just felt right, pieces fit. My life was in a box already because I had just finished grad school. And so I got to move cross country really easy. And it was all easy. And so we just had this expectation, I think, that this might be easy too. Um, <laughs> what was I wrong? So the story, you know, that, that story that you have for everybody, even around your wedding or at your bridal shower, when people say, when are you going to give me grandchildren or when are you, they're going to be cute little babies. Um, what we said was that we were going to have two, maybe three kids. We were both from three children households and, um, we only wanted to pay for college for two. And so, we thought, like a lot of people, we'll just have a noopsie, maybe, because sex and trying won't be that much fun. Um, about a month, or I'm sorry, a year into us being married, oh, we were going to wait two years too, by the way, I developed like terrible pain, like terrible, like I'm a therapist, I sit for a living. I couldn't sit, the pain was that bad in my pelvis. And so that led to a lot of, well, let me ask, do you want this story? Yeah. Okay. Um, that led to a lot of doctor's appointments and a surgery. My doctor's theory was that I had endometriosis. And I remember waking up from that surgery with my husband's hands like this over my cheeks, like squishing them. And I remember him saying, Kath, it's everywhere. I don't know everything that's down there, but if it's down there, it's covered. And so we're talking like bladder, colon, ovaries, tubes, uterus, everything even my pelvic floor. And so my doctor gave us three options. And the first option was birth control and artificial hormones. And I do not mix well. Um, Tyler vetoed that, I think, before I regained complete consciousness. The other one was a Lupron, which is an artificial menopause drug. Um, again, hormones. So we vetoed that. And the other, the other way to get endometriosis to stop from spreading is pregnancy. And so we started trying to conceive. So months later into trying hello viewers let me tell you about my menstrual cycle mm. you should also know I've never had a regular cycle in my entire life think like 60 day cycle and so eight months later into trying to conceive we found out that we were pregnant and we were elated I'm gonna throw my husband under the bus but I do the same thing if he was here mm -hmm. um we vowed that we would wait 13 weeks to tell people. And we lasted about 30 minutes to tell our parents. <laughs> and my husband got so adrenaline-y and testosterone-y, he grabbed the chainsaw and went and cut down a tree in our backyard. <laughs> because, because that's what you're going to do if you're going to be a new dad. And so um, pregnancy was awesome, um, but short-lived. 10 weeks after we found out that we were pregnant, um, we actually found out that baby no longer had a heartbeat. Um, and that was excruciating and my doctor was on maternity leave. And so we had no idea what was going on to go. And I'll say for everybody, I'm a reproductive therapist now. And I'll say that we handle this better, um, now, but 10 years ago, there was no resources. Instagram, Facebook, were not full of communities for this, like it is now. Um, and so we were alone. And I mean, I remember telling my boss, I'll be back in two days. Little did I know that I had to birth. 
it. Wow. Um, so we had to try to conceive again and that took 13 months, two surgeries. I lost a gallbladder too along the way. Um, totally unrelated. (laughs) And, um, then we were pregnant again and that baby was with us for five months. Then a couple months later we were pregnant again and that baby was, was with us for six. And then our final pregnancy was a couple months later. Um, and that baby was with us for seven months. So the story doesn't end there. The story ends with, well, one of my miscarriages, we're not quite sure. Maybe my first actually bled into my uterus instead of out. And, um, so I developed a condition called adenomyosis. So if you think of a uterus, like an orange peel, mine was more like a sponge sitting on my pelvis. Um, and I remember going to an IVF clinic and them saying, I'm so sorry, Miss Quillet, you have no healthy place left in your uterus. So it's, I mean, they didn't say it with a whole lot of compassion or empathy, but they were like, your road ends today. So sorry about that. Um, so that was it for us. I never got to carry out of the first trimester. So. And how, what did you notice like in your marriage? Were you and Tyler experiencing that the same way? And we're um, perfect. <laughs> um, so are you guys familiar with the Enneagram? Mm-hmm. I love the Enneagram. Yeah. So we're both two wing threes. We're oh. we're helper achievers. And at the time my husband was a pastor and he was the care pastor. And so um my husband is also a really good present emoter. Um and I guess I started answering how did we feel in the community? We did not feel great in the community. How we felt in our home was the only place that we felt safe. We definitely didn't grieve at the same time, um, the same way. Um, He fell into the male category of fixer. And while I wanted to be fixed, there was nothing he could do to fix me. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we grieved separately. Mine was more acute, um, and strong and his was more subtle. Like, I just want to show up really well for you. And I was like, just don't fix me. Tell me it sucks for you too. And he was like, but I want to make it okay for you. And so we were kind of like our marriage was a dog chasing its tail for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say I'm a total reminiscer. And at our 10 year anniversary, a couple years ago, my question to him was what are some things that stand out as really great positive things of the last 10 years. And both of us identified infertility and miscarriage as one of the high points of our relationship. Wow. Obviously we wanted it to change and be super different, but we could say at that 10 year mark, we were who we were because of everything that we had experienced. Hmm. Wow. And then what led you to your two sons? Yeah. So uh, as Tony said, I'm a mom by way of uh, African adoption. And um, so somewhere along the line um, through infertility. So my prayer the whole time was God knock me up and make it stick. (laughs) Like I didn't give him much wiggle room for his plan. Like I told him what he needed to do. Um, or tried. 
And then somewhere along the line, my prayer became, God, what do you want my family to look like? And it was then over the next however many months that I felt like we had this family picture on the wall that I knew what it was going to look like. We were going to have two, maybe three white kids in our family, and they were going to look like us. Um, hopefully not have our genetics still, but um, that's awesome that we cut that off through adoption. Um, and um, so through that prayer, I feel like um, it was then that God started breaking our hearts for adoption. And we definitely didn't want it to be a plan B. And so we started, we were not done. We were still trying to conceive when we started um, our adoption process. But what we noticed through it was that every time we went to an IVF clinic or went to an OBGYN or got done with surgery, there was all these roadblocks and like we couldn't push through them anymore. But when it came to adoption, we couldn't keep up. Hmm. And it felt like the Lord was just flinging doors open and we just had to run through them and keep up with him. Um, hmm. So we decided um, that we wanted to do international adoption. Tyler had been to the DR five, six, seven times at that point, um, leading mission strips. And we thought Haiti is close enough, so we'll consider that also. But my heart has always been Africa. And so at that time, Ethiopia was the most open country. And somebody said once, once you choose international or domestic, international chooses you, like the country chooses mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, we had only been married, I don't know, five, six years. But in like the Dominican, we had to go there uninterrupted for three months. Like once we were there, we couldn't leave country. And we couldn't do that job-wise. And in Haiti, you had to be 35 and married for 10 years. And at that point, we weren't. Mm-hmm. And then in Ethiopia, uh, you only had to be married a year and 30. And we, we met that. We met that. So we have two boys and our youngest, Bowen, came home at nine months and Silas came home at 25 months. Did you know, like, did you set out to getting them both at once? Like, were you going through the process to adopt one child of a certain age or whatever, and then they let you know, Hey, these two are really bonded to each other. Um, how did that work? We had originally said, we'll take one or two. Okay. And then once we realized somewhere in the process, this biological children isn't going to work for us. Um, and cost wise, really, it was more efficient to get two at the same (laughs) time, which sounds awful that it came down to that. It was a twofer. (laughs) We, we, we saved a lot of money getting two, but, um, so they were both in the orphanage really young in their life and they were both each other's people. Like Mm -hmm. Bowen looked to Silas and the only person in the world that could make Bowen laugh was Silas. Um, I don't know. They were just kind of thick as thieves from the beginning. And so once we saw their picture and they were like, Hey, why don't you guys take the weekend and pray about it? And my husband was like, yes, we want that. We don't have to talk about it. They're just ours. So yeah, this year it'll be seven years that they're home. Wow. So cool. I remember meeting them when they were in their first year with you and you had brought them to Northern California. That's really cool. I wonder if you could talk about that. We, I didn't, 
we hadn't planned about this part, but I know there's a lot of talk, and I'm sure in your work with families who are wanting to be parents and all the different obstacles that they face, do you encounter the dynamics of uh, ethnicity and race relationships, you know, in regards to mixed families and how, how does that work and how do you deal with that? I thought that'd be very interesting to hear from your perspective. Um, so as you mentioned, we live in the South and where I, so I guess when we were going through this, we read some books. Um, but I thought, honestly, African-Americans are going to love us for this. <laughs> and I was wrong. I mean, I've been called the boys and nanny. I have been asked why we didn't buy white ones. I've been asked why we didn't get dogs instead. Um, I oh. mean, people look at us. Luckily, my children are too young. And Silas, my oldest one, is really naive. He doesn't quite get it yet. But um, our first we've been in Tennessee, it's almost three years. So when he started first grade down here within like two months, he was spit on, on the school bus by a white boy. And he doesn't understand why Silas was like, I I don't know him, but he looked really angry and he just spit on me. Mm. Um, we, I mean, even, so we live in a predominantly white area, unfortunately, um, and we had to do the first grade kindergarten, kindergarten. He got spit on mm. kindergarten. They had to do something and Ty- Silas had to dress up as Thomas Jefferson. And he was like, mom, why is he famous other than being a president? Like there's a slave owner. How do we explain to our six year old that he is famous for being a slave owner and what that means? So anyways, I mean, I could tell story after story. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been a complicated thing for our family. I think- in, in addition, we have spe- our, our youngest has autism. So special needs between his like stimming behavior out in public. And I mean, Bowen about a year ago had a fit in Target and he was like laying on the ground in the card aisle like right between kids in the card aisle and people just stopped and stared. And I stood up and I was like, he has autism. Anybody have any questions? Like while you're standing there and judging me for being an awful mom and my kid for being ill-behaved, like, do you want to talk about this neurological condition that he's struggling with? Or do you just need to get on with your day? Um, You're the perfect person for that, Kathy. (laughs) <laughs> I, I it's such a, a hot topic right now and I'm really glad I mean you kind of noted that 10 years ago there was you know, very much a lack of resources obviously in your personal journey for infertility but obviously in um, mental health awareness and in these challenges that our kids and special needs are going through I mean I'm I think we're slowly inching forward where there's a little bit more awareness but I feel like we have so much farther to go and families like yourselves who are raising kids. I mean, the fact that you're saying you're in the deep, deep South with special need kids who also happen to be from Africa black. I mean, Whoa, it's like a triple uh, threat. there. It's so nuanced. I can't, yeah, I can't say enough how proud we are to be able to hear your story. And in some way, I hope this helps people to connect with you 
So talk about what this has done for your practice, for your life. You started the yeah. Quillet Institute. You've got some really cool resources that are out there right now. Yeah. So start there. And let me just say, parenthetically, getting back to that. So Silas is going to be nine in August. And he asks all the time, mom, do you love me even though my skin's brown? Would you go to Ethiopia again for me? And whether or not he knows the words to articulate it yet, he knows that there is a difference in our society. He doesn't know about racism. He's pretty well protected. He's not on YouTube. We don't play video games. He doesn't watch cable, like pretty conservative and like, what we allow into his sphere of influence because there is so much negativity about his culture, right? And we'll we'll get there at a certain point. But that with special needs, people think that we need to go to the legislature and whatever to make these changes. And yes, I agree. So that's for some people. But I think every single one of us at home can the, the narrative we tell our children about special needs, color, paraplegics, disease, differences, you know, lifestyle differences, et cetera, like that attitude starts at home. And if we can just teach our children to go to school and like love people that are different, that changes somebody's entire world, right? For Bowen to come home, he's my youngest to come home and his aide to say somebody played with him that day, I cry. It doesn't happen very often. Anyways, I could get on that soapbox, but thanks for acknowledging that and recognizing that. And for everybody that does see my kids for who they are, like I'm pretty protective about who comes into our family and who comes into our home. If you don't see my kids for who they are, you're just out. Okay, going back to your other questions, sorry. <laughs> oh, and that's true. I think, you know, there's there's a time and a place for educating and bringing awareness, but there's also the sense of protecting your kids. And there's, I think I find that in a lot of these conversations that I'm having, that's why I started, you know, my nonprofit Brave Maker, but just, I felt like I needed to grow in understanding diversity and justice and inclusion. But there's a lot of stumbling blocks there. There's a lot of walls that people already have built up. And sometimes I feel like I can get, really overwhelmed and exhausted trying to have conversations with people. And then maybe I get short and I get like blunt with them and I go like, maybe this isn't the best. Like I I shouldn't be spending my time and resources here with this person who's not willing to move forward. I'm not the right person. At least there's probably somebody else who's better, but I think I, I appreciate that. I think that's a, that's an important part of recognizing when you need to kind of close the conversation and close the door and spend your time and effort, obviously for yourself, on taking yeah. care of your own. That's important. So thank you for that. Cool. Keep going. And the now. encouragement that there's something that we can do, you know, you can storm the politics, you know, politics. And also you can be in your home and be an influencer with how you're training up your own kids and how you're communicating to your sphere of influence yeah. about people who are different. So Just that's your a good encouragement. Notice somebody who's different every day. I think that has such a huge profound mm. impact. So, Good. yeah, whew. we can talk about that for hours, I'm sure. Mm, that's good. So tell us professionally, like your story has led to um, yeah. what you do professionally. So give us kind of a, a sense of what you're doing now, how you've gotten there. 
Yeah. So I'm a marriage and family therapist by profession. Um, I actually started that when uh, Wendy, you and I, I think it was the fall you guys got married. Um, And so I was always super passionate about marriage and grief work and through my own, our own story and the lapses that I saw in mental health. Um, When I was studying for my national exam, when I moved to Ohio in 08, it was a 700 page um, study guide for the test, the national exam. There was two pages on infertility. Wow. Two. And like, we're talking marriage, right? How do you, anyways, so we've done a lot of work from the last decade. So after my own story, so in 2016, I wrote my first book, which was really a cathartic way for me to process because when I was going through it, I cruised bookshelves because I wanted everybody to normalize, like, you don't want to go outside. You're super lonely. Sex is not fun. It's apathetic. You might as well do it in a petri dish, right? Um, people don't get you, they minimize, et cetera. So I wrote not pregnant. Um, like it's kind of what not to expect when you're expecting, but that mm-hmm. title was taken. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if you're struggling with infertility, you know that the stick, when it comes up month after month after month, it just is not pregnant. So that's why I wrote that. Um, and then professionally, after I did my own healing, I niched myself. So professionally, all I see is infertility and pregnancy loss. Hmm. Cheers, Tony. Um, <laughs> Tony celebrating Cinco de Mayo for all of us. <laughs> I feel very um, gluttonous because I'm holding my Costco-sized Jose Cuervo <laughs> ready-made margarita. But it is what it is, people. He's taking sips while Kathy's Cheers. talking. Nope, <laughs> for the Cheers. We do need we do need to take a picture. Hold on, let's take a picture right now. You've got your empty glass of uh, my empty water Panera. from Panera. Cheers! Ready? Cheers! Gotcha. Okay, cool. Keep going. Oh, this important topic. When he has her diet coke. By the way, do you mm-hmm. you must see patients now via Zoom? So our clients. So people, I do. people who why don't you just pop that little connection link in this part of the podcast? Oh, there. Where can people find you? She's getting there. Okay, go for it. So let's just fast forward. Um, I own Nashville Reproductive Therapy here in Nashville. I'm in the office two days a week doing teletherapy through that right now. If you're in Nashville, go to Nashville Reproductive Therapy. Um, However, as a licensed marriage and family therapist, I'm bound by state lines. So I have started the Quillet Institute, Q-U-I-L-L-E-T, and... um, I do fertility coaching there. It's different. You don't need a license to do that. And I can do it all over the world. And I do that online through Zoom. So I also have just written, like I launched it two weeks ago, I think a children's book. If your uh, story involves secondary infertility, which is the inability to have a second child after, or a subsequent child, I guess, after a healthy pregnancy, Uh, the book is called No Matter What Happens. And it just chronicles a family after like with going through frustration and everything, talking about it with their child to start that conversation because kids don't understand it either. Um, And then last week I launched my peace and fertility workbook. And so that is super duper exciting. (laughs) It's like blood, sweat, tears, Uh, maybe no blood. That is amazing. (laughs) Kath, where could like, so not pregnant, is that on Amazon? It's all on Amazon or you can go to the Quillet Institute and get it okay. cheap, not cheaper. 
you can get it quicker than Amazon. Like Amazon okay. right now, some of them people are ordering and they're saying it's not coming in until June. I can get it. Yes. Okay. So, so we'll have the, all that written up in tone, right? In your notes. So people in can. In the show notes. And we'll post it on our Facebook page as well. Yeah. Okay. All of it will be on the Facebook page as well. Thanks, Kathy. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Is that workbook that you're releasing now, is that meant to be done on your own? Is that meant like to coincide with therapy with you? What is it? So I also have an online video program called Peace and Fertility. So it's eight 45 minute sessions of me talking at you. It's like one side therapy. Um, So it's also called Peace and Fertility. And the workbook was made to go in conjunction with that. However, I wrote out everything in the workbook. So you can do it in conjunction with the online video program that you can also find at thequillinstitute.com or it can be done individually with your partner, actually in a group. Wow. That's cool. Kathy, the website looks great. I'm looking at it right now. And Thanks, Tom. Yeah. And who did your video stuff? <laughs> um, I wish it had been Tony Gapiston. <laughs> <laughs> Good the answer. Right answer Kathy. Good answer. Because no, no. I'm awesome just... <laughs> and worth every dollar. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Like, yeah. uh, did you have someone like a friend of yours come in and film? Did you, what, how yeah. did that whole process work? Yeah. Um, it was in a friend's bonus room. Cool. And we made it as unprofessionally as we could to make as make it look as professional as we could. So I mean, that cool. was the first initiative. And so, yeah, we did it very low budget. I just think, first of all, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, from what I can see here, everything looks great. You can do great quality stuff on a low budget and just because it's low budget doesn't mean it has to look low budget you know what I mean so I think from what I can see things look great here and I know the work the blood sweat and tears like you said that goes into launching something to starting a company and building all this stuff so I just wanted to acknowledge that you know you've done a lot with your pain with your journey that you are I know in the process that you're healing and experiencing all the goodness and celebration of how you become a parent you're also taking all of this stuff and utilizing it through your experience to help others. I mean, that I feel like is the epitome of what God has designed us to do. It's really, really beautiful. It doesn't make it nice, tight and a happy bow, happy ending. Cause obviously you're still walking through things, but I think that's the beauty of it. It's kind of like what I look for. If I'm going to be um, taught by someone, you know, mm-hmm. someone could easily have checked the boxes and, you know, they, teach in front of a classroom but it's like they're not in it you're you're still in it you're doing it you've made it you know so that's really cool so i, I highly recommend people go check out the quillitinstitute.com in our show notes is on the facebook page but tell us about the book your children's book yeah do you want to have story time with Kath? can we have some yeah oh. <laughs> would you read some of it or what are you going to do Sorry. Oh my gosh. Like it's a real thing. Yeah. Cute first little biracial of, family, right? Can you tell, first of all, okay. how did you do it? Before you read, how did you make the, the book? Because I'm working on a children's book and other people who are working oh. on a children's book, how do they make it happen? So I, um, the story was inspired by a little family that I know and who essentially walked this. And so it was like two years ago, I was um, laying out in my backyard having a beverage um, during the summer. And I just felt like this script just popped into my mind. So I just kind of sat on it for a while because I didn't know how to do it either. 
but I found a publisher who was really great to work with and they just did it. I sent them it. Um, and I got to pick my, uh, what's it called? Illustrator. And they just, they did it for me. Wow. That is amazing. We need to talk off offline <laughs> about that. I want to hear more about that process, but cool. Yeah. So super fun. I love it. Um, I think little babies, little kids just get super confused. Like, why can't I be a big sister? Why mom's going to the doctor? Why does she keep having surgery? All of these things. Like why my mom, why is my mom keep crying? Mm. Right. Um, so now we're calling like in the reproductive therapy world, we're starting to call infertility a reproductive trauma. Mm. I can get on my soapbox. I won't, but kids feel that also. And so I just wanted to give their little voices a voice to start a conversation with mom and dad and let them know that it's okay to express emotion about it. So no matter what happens. That's awesome. That is really cool, Kathy. How much do books cost? No matter what happens, I think it's 15. Not pregnant is 12. And my workbook is 49. Okay. Awesome. Um, So so let's let's give away... Um, we'll, we'll pay for, uh, not the workbook cause that's a little bit above, but we'll do, <laughs> we'll do the not pregnant and no, no, give away the peace and fertility workbook. I'll give it to you at cost. Okay, cool. So we need to, um, if you are, you are listening this far and you are you somebody for that long, <laughs> somebody, no, that's not what I'm saying. And somebody, you know, uh, or yourself that you love uh, is going through a challenge in their fertility or becoming a parent journey, then we want you to message us uh, podcast at bravemaker.com podcast at bravemaker.com. And we will send you or your loved one, um, one of these books and we'll do it to the first two people or three people, whatever first come first serve, whatever book you need most the fertility workbook, the not pregnant or the children's book. Sound good? Awesome. Yes. Kathy. Great. So right Tyler's now. actually launching a book soon too, y'all. <laughs> okay. You guys, you guys are got... just unstoppable. <laughs> we have nothing else to do. I'm just oh kidding. my gosh. What's his yeah. deal? So his is called Yet, and it's from Lamentations when uh, three, maybe when he is lamenting and he lists out all these really terrible things that have just happened. And he says, I will never forget this awful time. And then he says the word yet. And then the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So mm. Tyler for 10 years was a care pastor at our church and walked a lot of people through this, like grief and funerals, etc. So his is on like, you can never forget this awful time yet. You can live in the yet of grief, like knowing this has really been awful but you can also have extreme hope in the Lord that his faithful love never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Greatest. Wow. So is that published yet? Yet? No. Um, it's in its last round of edits. Sweet. Yes. Okay. So when can we find out? Is that going to be anywhere that listeners could find it? It'll be on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. So Maybe be looking for the title yet. June-ish. Okay. Who knows? It has ruined everything. (laughs) Um, Kath, can you leave us with some tips? I know you had posted on social media just an encouragement for people during COVID-19, sheltering in place, 
um, that can just take a toll on our mental health. And so I was hoping that you could just leave us with some encouragement for ways to address Mm -hmm. that. So my infertility practice is really like, I feel like infertility therapy is really on hold right now. And it's all the ways that life is being interrupted. And so when we look at symptomology of depression, we look at low motivation, loss of interest in pleasurable things, social isolation, change in sleeping and eating and concentration and kind of some hopelessness. Um, And all that is kind of being delivered to us on a silver platter right now by the government. I'm not blaming the government and that's not a political statement. But we're being forced to do this. Like we're being forced into social isolation. And that sometimes when you don't have your community, you don't have your people, that looks like depression. When you can't do the things that are normally part of your life, for example, like you love uh, going out to restaurants, you love happy hour, you love going to concerts, football games. You can't do that right now. That feels depressing for people. And no doubt right now, people's... uh, Alcohol intake is up. Their eating is worse. Their sleep changes have been dramatic because we don't have anywhere to go in the morning. And so I, and again, all that really mirrors symptoms of depression. People are like, am I clinically depressed? No, it's just because of this situation that we're in right now is making you feel and your lifestyle look like you really are. Maybe you are depressed, but there's probably other contributing factors to that. So yeah. What I would say is try and keep as much of a routine as you can sleep like you always have, wake up and you always have, eat what you always have, drink the amount of alcohol that you always have. Um, if you need social input and you're just not getting it in your life, schedule Zoom calls, get out as much as you can safely to, even if it's a park and you people watch just so you can feel like you're around people. Try and find things that are interesting to you in your home that you're not just binge watching Netflix every day, but maybe you love kayaking and you can't do that right now um, because all that is closed down. Maybe plan a trip for July, August so that we're moving in the direction of productivity, so that we're moving in the direction of getting life back. And practice self-care. Self-care, self-care. We can never do too much of that. What is the one thing five things maybe that you think, oh my gosh, I come alive when I do this. Mm. If you can't do it right now, plan it, put it on the calendar so that you can maintain some kind of normalcy in your life. The end. Normalcy. Normalcy, new normalcy, create your normalcy. This is what we need. Thanks so much, Kathy, for that. Where can people find you on the socials besides the Quillet Institute? Anywhere you want people to go or is it all there at that website? Sure. I have an Instagram also, Kathy Quillett, LMFT, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. You can do there. But the Quillet Institute's great. Cool. We'll promote you. And remember, if you or a loved one need one of these resources, the first two or three people that we hear from, we will send them out. Podcast at bravemaker.com. Kathy uh, Quillett, thanks for saying, saying hello at the table in 1990. What was it? 2001? I forget. When was it? 2000? 2001? <laughs> no, I'm going to get there. 2001. 2001, Azusa Pacific University, about 19, 20 years ago. Pretty amazing. Aww. Come a long way, baby. Wow. Crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> all. We all love right. you, Kathy. Yeah. Love you so much. Much love, Kath. All right, podcast listeners, thanks for tuning in. 
you know what to do. Share it on the socials. Let us know what you think. And uh, if you have ideas for other podcast guests, please tag them on our Facebook page, the Holy Cannoli Facebook page. Until next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today.